Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. When I was a youth pastor in North Carolina, every summer I would take about 30 to 40 students on a backpacking trip to southeastern Virginia on the Appalachian, that's how they say it out there, not Appalachian, Appalachian Trail. Now I recognize that for those of you that may be sitting here this morning listening to this, or if you're watching this online today, you may hear me say that and say, wow, that sounds like a really cool experience. And to be honest, it was. It was a really incredible experience. Because of that backpacking trip, I had the opportunity to connect with students in a way that I had never or would never have been able to do so back in the suburbs of Chapel Hill. There's just something powerful that happens relationally when you take a group of people and you remove them from all the distractions of everyday life, when you strip away all the technology, yes, students, they had to hike for a week without their cell phones, there was no social media, and you actually had to have conversation face-to-face. It was amazing, the relationships that were built in that week. So in that sense, yes, it was an incredibly powerful experience. However, in another sense, that backpacking trip in Virginia was also a version of my very own personal hell. Because the truth is, despite the fact that I was born in Montana, grew up in Colorado, I would not consider myself to be the outdoorsy type. In fact, I would say that I'm more accurately described as the antithesis of the rugged outdoorsman. I hate camping. I hate it. In fact, the best way that I've ever heard camping summed up is why would I purposely pretend to be homeless when I've got a good bed to sleep in? That is my thoughts summed up on camping perfectly. I would much rather admire the mountains from a distance than hike through them. I don't ride a mountain bike, I ride a stationary bike. The only tent that I own is a pop-up tent for the beach. And I most certainly was not born with skis on my feet. I'm just not that stereotypical, outdoorsy kind of guy that you tend to think of when you think of somebody who grew up in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. And so you can imagine then that why a week-long backpacking expedition where I had to sleep on the ground, there were no showers, and worst of all, I had to personally dig a latrine to relieve myself, might begin to cause me a little bit of undue personal stress. And as I look back on that time, there were a couple reasons that I think I was able to make it through that. First, I learned the hard way how important it is to be able to identify poison ivy before you walk through it. It was, I had the worst case. In fact, the trail leader said she had never seen a case of poison ivy so bad. Very important to know. I also, on top of the 50-pound hiking backpack that I had to carry, I loaded another 10 pounds of energy drinks. I literally had cans of Rockstar Energy with me to make it through that trip. 
But the most important thing that I was able to learn was the story or the concept of Little Foxes. And Little Foxes was a story that the trail leader would recite every night around the campfire about a farmer and the little foxes that had invaded the farmer's vineyard. And these little foxes, as the story goes, were small in stature. And when you looked at them, you would say they're not probably very, can't hurt human beings. Except the problem with these little foxes is that if they were left unattended over time, they would gnaw on the roots of the vines and eat the fruit and destroy the entire crop. So every night, the trail leader would recite this story about the little foxes, and every night she would come up or he would come up with new and inventive ways that the farmer tried to get rid of those pesky foxes. And some of the more creative retelling of the story included drawbridges, moats, turrets, laser-guided missiles, and even attack dinosaurs. But the bottom line, the moral of the story of the little foxes was that little things, those little annoyances, those negative thoughts we encountered while hiking, if left unattended, could eventually ruin the entire trip for us. Thus, at every night, we would gather the students together and we would share about our little foxes. And it was a cool way not only to be able to share our feelings with one another, but also for the entire group to be able to encourage and pray for one another. I have to admit that given my aversion to camping and hiking, I had a lot of little foxes that I shared every night. But the ability to be able to share that with one another helped to lighten the load of a very physically and mentally demanding experience. And this powerful concept of the story of the little foxes was as true for me today in my journey of faith as it was then backpacking through the woods of Virginia. This idea that negative things, little negative things, if left unattended in my life, can end up having major consequences. More specifically, with regards to the scripture that we're going to be reading here in just a few moments, we may more accurately describe those little foxes as little sins. There are those little sins that we allow to exist in the vineyards of our spiritual lives because upon initial inspection, I look at them and I say, ah, It's small. It's harmless. It's not going to hurt anybody. They're the areas of compromise in my life that I justify because nobody's going to get hurt, right? Or nobody's going to know. After all, it's just one text message. It's just one visit to a website. It's just one look. It's only gossip. And on and on we go. But that is the problem with these micro-compromises. The danger is rarely immediately apparent to us. It's often the long-term effects that we can't see down the road that will pose the greatest threat to our spiritual lives. Compromise has this way of slowly eroding the foundations of our faith. And eventually it leads us down paths into places that we never intended to be. Author and writer Tony Evans said this, we, can, we too can end up in places we never imagined possible when we compromise the small things and make choices that don't reflect a life set apart to serve 
and glorify God. Now, I can tell you firsthand, as a follower of Christ, I have witnessed in my own life the effect of small compromises over time. And I can tell you as a pastor that I can have witnessed the cumulative effects of small compromises in the lives of some very precious people. In fact, I will never forget the time that I sat counseling a dear friend of mine as he sat there with his head just kind of buried in his forehands with streams run, tears running down his face, and he said, how did I get here? You see, this man, he was a faithful husband for a lot of years, but the journey of a thousand compromises led him to a place that he never thought or imagined that he would get to. And as he looked at it now, as so ensnared and entangled by all the lies he told, he saw that there was no way And sadly, my friend's situation is not uncommon. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're the president, whether you're a housewife, it does not matter. We are all in danger of being wooed and outwitted, overpowered by our sinful compromise. Sin, especially sin that seems small and harmless, is like that seductress that lures the unexpecting party in. It's like a spider that sets a trap of its web just waiting for somebody to come and play in it. But here's the crazy part. Here is the crazy part. Despite the fact that I know firsthand, despite the fact that I have seen in the lives of individuals the damage and the danger that compromise can cause, all too often when it comes to addressing compromise in my own life, I am often very slow if not at times purposefully negligent to actually do anything about it. Why is that? And I think it's because regardless of the fact that I know that it's dangerous, I believe somewhere in my heart of hearts, I believe or I've told myself, I've deceived myself to believe that I have everything under control. That what happened to that person won't happen to me. But I bet that I'm the only person in this room who's ever thought that, right? There's nobody here. Y'all are super spiritual. Nobody's ever thought that they could get away with compromise in their life. Now listen, guys, I'm not going to get up here this morning and give you an exhaustive list of all the ways that we can find compromise in our lives. I could go for hours on that, and that's not what the point of this message is. I'm not here this morning to try and convince you of danger of compromise in your life where you might be vulnerable either now or in the future to major consequences. I will leave that in the very capable hands of our God. He's much better at doing that than I am. But my question to you this morning is when Jesus puts his finger on something in your life and says, this is an area of compromise, and I'm going to tell you, he did it to me this week, so you guys don't get off scot-free. I've been dealing with this all week. When Jesus puts a finger on an area of your life and says, this is an area of compromise, how do you respond? How do you respond? What do you say when Jesus puts his finger on that area? Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like me and you believe or you told yourself that I've got it all under control. We get to this place where somehow we think that we are different from every other person who's toyed around with sin and gotten caught. 
That's that guy. That's that girl we tell ourselves. I got this thing on lock. That's not going to happen to me. But here's the thing. If that's you this morning, and again, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. If you believe that, you better also believe that every person who's ever toyed with sin and got caught at one point believed the same thing. That won't happen to me. That's not going to be where I'm going to end up. And yet, sin got him. Or maybe you're somebody here today and you remain silent about compromise in your life. Maybe you don't talk about your secret sins because the shackles of shame, guilt, and more importantly, the fear of what others will think about you if they knew what you were doing forces you to remain silent. And look, church, I get it. I get it. It is hard to be vulnerable with people. It is hard to open up about our failings and the ways that we struggle. But can I just be honest with you that if we don't open our mouths and share those things, we should also not only be afraid of what others might think, but we should be as afraid, if not more so, of what happens if we stay in the dark and keep those sins hidden. Because the truth is, compromise flourishes in the darkness. Compromise flourishes, it grows, it feeds on isolation. So that when we separate ourselves from people, we're separating ourselves from the very people that God has brought into our lives to help us overcome that. We need those people. And finally, maybe this morning you're like the farmer in the story of the little foxes. And when you recognize an area of danger in your life, you go to extraordinary human lengths to try and deal with that danger. Self-help books? Check. Meditation? Check. Diet and exercise? Check. Willpower? Check. Laser-guided missiles? Check. Attack dinosaurs? Triple check. And in and of those selves, hear me, I'm not saying in and of those selves, those things are wrong. They're not. It's okay to practice those things. But the problem is, is that when it comes to compromise and sin, each of those things falls woefully short of being to help save us from our compromise. If we could do it on our own church, Jesus wouldn't have needed to die on a cross. He simply could have told us, try harder. Try harder. You can get out of this. Try harder. So I'm asking you again this morning, how do you respond when God puts his finger on an area of your life that could be compromising? How do you overcome those areas that accept standards that are less than what God has for you? Here's the good news. God does not want you to be overcome by sin and compromise. And the amazing thing about being a Christ follower, if you open the Bible and read any of the stories in the Bible, you're going to find that it's not about perfect people, right? God has included within Scripture the stories of very, the lives of very flawed individuals so that we can learn from their example of what not to do. People who have dealt with the very same struggles and temptations that we have. And as we look at Scripture, there is probably no greater example of compromise than Samson. And so today we are going to look at the life of this strong man of Israel and see how he was overrun and overcome 
by compromise in his life. Now, when I say Samson, I'm sure there are some visual pictures that probably come to mind right away, right? I think a lot of us, when we think of Samson, we tend to envision a guy that's somewhere of a cross between Arnold Schwarzenegger and Fabio in a loincloth, <laughs> right? Like, he's got the bod, he's got the hair, and that's just what we think of when we think of Samson, right? But Samson was this man of just superhuman strength. We read in Scripture that he was able to rip apart an entire lion with his bare hands, that he was able to conquer a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Samson was a dude that you don't mess with. And it seems as you go through and you begin to look at the story of Samson that there was no human army or enemy that could overcome him. But sin and compromise did. You see, Samson was bound to a vow that prohibited him from drinking wine, eating unclean food, and from cutting the hair on his head. And as long as Samson remained faithful to that vow, his strength remained as well. But when he was presented with an aggressive beauty by the name of Delilah, dude folded like a cheap tent, and he compromised his, not only his vow, but his integrity, never imagining where that compromise, the nightmare that that compromise would lead him on. And as soon as he foolishly told Delilah the secret of his strength, she ran and told the Philistines and betrayed him. And so let's turn to Judges chapter 16 and read about how the mighty Samson was undone by compromise. And we'll start in verse 17. It says this, So he, and they're referring to Samson here, told her, Delilah, everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would be as weak as any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back at once, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with silver in their hands and putting him to sleep on her lap. I mean, that is cold-blooded, man. She called for someone to shave the seven braids of, her, of his hair and began to subdue him, and his strength left him. And then she called out, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And Samson awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they sent him to grinding grain in the prison. These are perhaps some of the saddest words in the entirety of the Bible. He did not know that the Lord had left him. The mighty Samson, right? The champion of Israel, the deliverer, was reduced in a moment to the picture of helplessness as he was paraded through the streets by his enemies, made to be a laughingstock, just a shadow of the former man that he was. And though it doesn't say it specifically in Scripture, I have to believe that at some point, while Samson was languishing away in a Philistine prison, he had to have wondered how did I get here? Where did it all go wrong? It's the question that we all ask when we enter places or find ourselves in the dark places of life. 
And like many people who have moral failings, I don't believe for a minute that Samson woke up that morning and thought, gee, it's a good day to throw my life away. Instead, Samson's downfall was the result of a multitude of harmless micro-compromises that left unattended over time ended in great disaster. And while Samson's story is tragic, his example also will demonstrate for us how minor compromises can lead to major consequences. And his failure should serve for us as this morning a grim warning for any of us who think that we can hold or play with sin and not get burnt. So let's pause for a few moments and just examine some of the very specific compromises that Samson made in his life. You see, throughout the entirety of Samson's recorded life, and again specifically in the book of Judges, we see that Samson routinely gave into compromise because he believed in his truth instead of God's truth. The very fact that our boy was crushing so hard on Delilah, a Philistine woman, is proof that he thought that he was wiser than God. Think about it. Early in Israel's history, God had commanded the Israelite people not to marry others from foreign countries. Why did God do this? To ruin somebody's fun? No, he didn't do that. He did it because he knew that we have a human tendency to tend to adopt the habits, the speech patterns, the traditions and customs of those that we're closest to. I mean, if you don't believe me, just think for a moment about some of the traditions and things that you've adopted since marrying your spouse. Now, some of you have been married for a long time. You may not be able to remember back that far before life of marriage, and that's okay. But for me, I was just four years ago. And so Don and I were talking about this last night. We were having a laugh about it. Man, how have our lives changed? How have we influenced one another? And Don said, you know what? I actually now grouped my silverware in the dishwasher. Which, to which I said, praise God, because before, man, it used to be knives and forks and spoons were everywhere, you know, and so now she takes, her spoons are all on one slot, her knives are all on one slot, it's just beautiful. And she also listens to country music because of my influence, right? Like, that's a good thing. And for me, though, like, I've tried to dance. I've got two left feet. I can't dance for nothing, but I've tried to dance. And another way that she's influenced me, I now drive like I'm from Chicago, right? I, I hit the, Rick, Rick saw me driving on the highway a couple weeks ago and said, you are going fast, man. I said, I know, I, I got that Chicago in me now. But see, God knew that by marrying foreigners, the Israelites would be susceptible to adopting some of the false gods and some of the pagan practices of these people from other countries. And so when God said, don't intermarry, he did that, not to be cruel, but as an act of love to help protect this fledgling nation from falling into idolatry. But as we see in Judges chapter 16, God's truth mattered little when it came to Samson, when it came to women. Samson prized his own truth over God, and each time he chose his truth, it led him down a path of compromise that eventually wound him up in the arms of Delilah. You see, I believe that Samson in that moment chose his own truth much for the same reason a lot of us do. 
because we believe or we deceive ourselves to believe that we're wise enough to handle it. We think I'm wise enough to handle this temptation, this compromise. And the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans described this kind of wisdom, this human wisdom that we ascribe to when we place our truth over God's when he said in, verse, or in chapter 1, verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and foolish and their heart, foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And this is all part of sin's scheme to lure us down a path to begin to compromise. It assures us that we are wise enough to see trouble coming down the road. It goes something like this. Yeah, I know God told you not to do that. But hey, man, you're smart enough to see when you're getting in trouble. Get off the tracks when you see the train coming. All right, yeah, I, I, I can handle this. I can't handle this. And all the while, we think we are wiser than God because we think we can handle the things that he said. Don't have those things in your life. And as the book of Romans says, whenever we choose to follow our own truth instead of God's truth, we are really just fools pretending to be wise men. You see, Samson's compromise not only relied on the belief that he knew what was best, but it also relied on his own strength. And i got to be honest with you, it's hard to fault Samson as you begin to go through and look at the story of his life. After all, Delilah was far from his first compromise. Samson, over and over again, as you examine his life, did, did and said things that were in direct opposition to what God told him to do. As part of his vow of separation to God, God said, Samson, you're not going to drink wine, and not only will you not drink wine, you're not supposed to have anything to do with grapes. And yet, early on in our story of Samson, we see him doing what? Strolling by a vineyard. It's a small compromise. It's not going to hurt anybody, right? And then, as also as part of his vow as separation to God, he wasn't supposed to come in contact with anything that had died. But we read just a few verses later that Samson, after killing a lion, goes back to look and see what he has done. And he noticed that some bees had made a hive in this lion. And he reaches his hand inside this carcass to pull out some of the honey. I mean, first of all, gross, like rotted meat honey. Who does that? In the, it all, you know? And then he fed it to his parents, which is a whole other story. But, <laughs> but time and time again, Samson had flirted with compromise. And the truth was, time and time again, Despite that, he found the strength to overcome the consequences of his actions. So why would Samson, in this moment of compromise with Delilah, believe that things were going to be any different? I mean, he said it himself. If you go back and you look at Judges chapter 16, he says, I will do as I did before, and I'm just going to shake myself free. It's just going to be like every other time. It doesn't matter. But what Samson's years of compromise had blinded him to in that moment was the simple fact that his strength had nothing to do with his luscious locks. Nothing. His strength came from God alone. His hair was merely an outward symbol of what was supposed to be an inward condition. But again, here, Samson reminds us of the struggle we're all vulnerable to when it comes to compromise. The belief that our strength actually blinds us to our weaknesses. 
You see, we're often tempted to believe that the stronger I get, the better I'll be able to battle against sin. The more I go to church, the more I read my Bible, the more of a super Christian I become, the better I am going to be able to equip. I'll be stronger to stand against sin. And the truth is, it's actually completely the opposite. When it comes to fighting sin, the more power and influence and prestige we possess, the more vulnerable we actually become to compromise. Because the strength of sin feeds on our strength that we believe about ourselves. And that is why the Bible says that destruction comes before the fall. Pride comes before destruction. And that the haughty spirit before the fall. It's in our weaknesses that we are able to recognize our need for God, not our strengths. So when we point to our strengths or our hair as Samson did, we're lacking the sobriety that is needed to battle against compromise. Samson's final and perhaps most damning compromise came from his failure to realize and stay close in his relationship with God. We already read earlier in the chapter that Samson didn't even realize that God had left him. Think about that for a moment. We read through Scripture so quickly that we don't pause at times to think about what it's saying. Samson didn't even know the Spirit of God had left him. How does that even happen? He was a man called by God from birth, uniquely equipped to deliver the nation of Israel from bondage and slavery, and yet he wound up in a place spiritually where he couldn't even recognize that the Spirit of God had departed from him. How does that happen? I think it happened to Samson the same way it can happen to you and I. Because the truth is, guys, compromise never moves us closer to God. It always moves us farther away. Even if it's only inches at a time, micro steps by micro steps, it slowly moves us farther and farther away from God. So that every time Samson chose to compromise, he was also simultaneously choosing to move away from God. God didn't move away from Samson. Samson moved away from God. And that's why the enemy will work so hard and so patiently to get one hook in our lives of compromise. Just one look. It's just one taste. It's not as bad as what others are doing because Satan knows that if he can't tempt us with the big things, if we throw our hand up and say, not today, Satan, you're not going to get me with that, he'll settle for the small, the minute compromises, because he knows that not only do those small compromises over time lead to greater sins, but they also take us farther and farther away from God. And so like Samson, our faith can end up marooned on distant shores, miles and miles away from the one who can protect and save us. The story of Samson is the story of a man who let little foxes run wild in his vineyard and his spiritual life, and eventually they ruined the entire crop. And his life reminds us that compromise can happen to anyone who elevates their own truth, who elevates their own strength, or trusts that or allow sin to separate them from God. Compromise has consequences, church. 
And we are foolish if we believe that we can pull fire to our chest and not get burned. We just got done studying the book of Galatians, and in Galatians it says this in chapter 6, verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And Samson ultimately reaped the whirlwind of a lifetime of decisions of compromise that were based on his own truths, his own strength, and a relationship with God that he was moving away from. Bummer of a sermon, man. Not uh, Samson's story certainly isn't cheery. But as we wrap up here, the conclusion of Samson's story offers everyone who wrestles with compromise some hope. Listen to what it says in Judges chapter 16, verse 28 through 30. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. He is in the Philistine prison right now being paraded in this circus in front of all these Philistines who were jeering at him. And he says, O Lord, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And so Samson grasped these two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against one, and he he leaned his other hand against the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell on the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those that he killed during his life. Again, really cheery, right? (laughs) Very cheery. I didn't promise you cheery this morning, but I will promise you hope. Because here's the amazing part about Samson. When Samson finally came to a place of complete surrender, and he completely submitted and humbled himself before God, God was able to do something incredible with him. When it was no longer about his strength, but it was about God's strength, God was able to use him. And here's the hope for you this morning. I know for a lot of us, we sit here today and we may be wrestling with some of the compromises that we have in our own life. Maybe right now for you guys, they're just small compromises. Maybe they haven't turned into major consequences yet. But you sit there and you're thinking, I have tried over and over and over again to get over this, and I can't. I just keep going back to the well with these compromises. Or maybe you're here this morning, and you're in a position where you are reaping some of those major consequences in your life. You're experiencing what happens when compromises is left unattended. And you think, God can never, ever, ever redeem me. Can I just tell you this this morning, church? That no matter what decisions you have made, no matter what compromises you have had in your life, God is still able and capable of using you in amazing ways if we are willing to submit ourselves to him. One of my favorite lines, and I've said it before up here and you'll hear me say it again, is that God in Scripture, the God that I serve, the God that I read about in the Bible, is never the God of if only. He never says, if only you had done this. If only you had done that, then I would be able to help you. But God is the God of but now. But now will you turn your heart to me? But now will you turn from compromise and seek me? Because if you're willing to do that, I can use that. So church today, as we walk out of here, whatever God is putting his finger on, don't walk out of here in despair. Walk out of here encouraged that like Samson, God can use those areas to transform and change 
this world. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.